The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3, and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. Love our live audience participating all throughout the offseason. You taking time out of your day, we'll take some questions, not just on Mailbag Thursdays, all throughout the week. Today, we will be digging into strength of schedule, specifically discussing some of the toughest schedules in the country, maybe even some of the easiest. You know, what makes a tough schedule? Who are some of the schools that are going to be facing a daunting climb to accomplish their goals? We'll get into that and so much more. We'll be talking about dark horse candidates, including for those of you who've been rocking with us for a while, you will remember that you got some advice in last year's dark horse show that TCU might exceed expectations. Huh? I guess that's a little bit of credence. So come and hang out with us on Wednesday for that. Thursday, of course, will be a mailbag. But we begin with an interesting look at the transfer portal, specifically how brash and brazen new UAB head coach Trent Dilfer has gotten. In a radio appearance on the Rick and Bubba show, this is what we got from our guy Trent Dilfer. And by the way, Come try to get my guys. I dare you, Power Fives. I've got a pretty big platform I can step on. And if I find you in my kids' DMs, and I find you talking to high school coaches about my kids, if you're in my roster, I'm going to call your ass out. I'm going to say it by name to the biggest voices in television today, and it's going to make game day, and it's going to make Sports Center. And by the way, those guys running Sports Center are still my friends. 
So go ahead. I dare you to jump into my roster. I told the American coaches the same thing. I said, why don't you guys have the you-know-whats to stand up and say, get out of my roster. And I said, here's why. Because you want their job. Well, I want this job. I want to live in Birmingham. I want to live downtown. I don't want to see. I want to go see my grandson in Nashville. I don't want any other job, so I don't care if you blackball me. Whew. He said, so go ahead. I'm not scared of whoever the grand poobah poobahs to blackball me. Like, get off my roster. These are my guys. I will see you at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, the, the larger question, I think, is like, what is the state of a group of five head coach trying to be able to fend off guys in their DMs, guys talking to high school coaches. And what do you, what do you make of Dilfer coming, uh, coming out a little hot heading into the uh, 2023 season? I mean, Dilfer is a big dude. Like he's yeah. jacked I and mean, he was a top five yeah. pick for a reason. <laughs> There's other coaches that are smaller. I mean, yeah, he could fight them. That would probably put the fear of God in him. But aside from that, like, there is no recourse. And we saw Jeff Trailer. Remember, he said, remember after the season last year, he was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start calling guys out. Well, he never did. I would love it if Trent did call some people out and did maybe screen grab some DMs and, and texts that come to his players. But what what's gonna happen if he does? It's just gonna be a public, you know, it's just gonna be a like Jordan a Jordan Madison still went to USC. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of my feeling too. Like, if okay, let's say an SEC team is sliding up into the DMs of one of his players and trying to get him to transfer, and he goes to like game day and tells you know tells Herb Street or somebody, is is ESPN, a Sports Center, game day? Are they really going to be that interested in doing a story about an SEC team going after a UAB player? I don't know. I mean. They have three hours of programming now, so I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't make game day, but it probably doesn't make the, like the, the one hour that everybody actually watches. The like, 6 a.m. hour? Yeah. Is, is he going to call it Nick Saban? Because Saban took Jalen Key, like the best player on, on UAB by far. And look, this is a good way for – and I, I like Trent. Like he's always really, really good to us when we ran Elite yep. 11. Like, like just a, a pretty fun guy to talk to. You know, definitely has some, some takes. But – this is him staying in the news and try to get some hype for UAB and, and to, to win over people locally. Hey, I, I want this UAB job. And and he's going to need it because UAB lost all five starting offensive linemen mm -hmm. from last year's team. And that line stayed real healthy. Like they all played at least 650 snaps and a couple of them played 800. So probably in for a rough year in year one at UAB. I'm not really sure how many UAB players other teams actually want. And I'm not trying to take shots, but like, He's doing what Dion's doing, right? Like, try to get a lot of publicity, good PR in the offseason because you know you probably have a bit of a rough season coming for you. Now, if you're a G5 head coach like this, I talked to one a couple weeks ago. He's like, hey, this program's offering my kid this. Like, do you think that's real or you think that, that that's fake? And I was like, I don't know. Like, that kind of seems like a little bit above the, the going rate. And he's like, we can get this kid, you know, maybe 15000 not you know, not not six figures. I don't think he's that good. Like, I'm just going to tell our boosters to save the money. So I do think there is an element, though, when it comes to recruiting, you don't really want to, if you're like a G5 guy, you don't want to get the real high upside, super raw guy. Because the two years of development, to get him to where he's actually a good player as opposed to just a good athlete, mm -hmm. that's on you. Who's going to reap the reward program-wise when he actually hits the level of good athlete? Because he might show out in the spring before his junior year 
get plucked away and be a good player for a P5 team, whereas you had a guy that was super raw and kind of unplayable, but you knew he had the upside. So I, I think the smart G5 coaches are going to go after the really good but really small football players. Like Take a look at Carlton Marshall. We talked about him, I don't know, at least monthly last year, the NCAA's all-time leading tackler at Troy, 5'9", ran like a 4'9 at Pro Day, right? But just a good and instinctive football player. I think, you know, give me all these like 5'11 guards who are, are, are good on Fridays and will probably be good enough to be good on Saturdays if I'm trying to be a good G5 coach. Is that the defense to be able to try and, and tell the player that they are being lied to? Because I, that is another thing that I have heard is that I think so. the, yeah. when there is the the coaches are going crazy, obviously, about it was like, oh, we need this, we need that. But one of the arguments that they make that I've I've definitely heard some backup to is the, the players are being lied to. You know, they are just being sold a bill of goods and then they get into the transfer portal and then they commit. And then when it's time to go and sign that deal, it might not be what they were told by the friend of a friend or by the runner or whoever was making the connection there. And then you're you're just kind of stuck with not what you were being told you were going to make and probably, because you're clearly not a priority, not getting the playing time that you were hoping to get. I don't. I just don't know how much is that it, that is going to weigh on an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old when it's like, okay, you're telling me they're lying, but I, I can go get that money. What if they're not? You know, that's that to me seems like one thing in the ecosystem is like one of your only defenses in an otherwise defenseless position as a group of five head coach trying to retain talent. Also, there's like a zero percent chance that like a Nick Saban or a Ryan Day are jumping into a kid's DMs. It's yeah, you use kind of a go between. It, it it's like Dilfer may be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy's connected to this program, but he doesn't know that, right? It's not like it's not something ESPN would just take Trent's word for that, right? Like some seven on coach you use. Very rarely do I think though. actual coaches are jumping in guys' DMs. I'm not saying you it sure, never happens. You sure yep. Nick Saban's not hitting up Jacob Zeno with a U up in his DMs? You sure? <laughs> oh, God, I forgot they still have Jacob Zeno. Oh. <laughs> what about so, you? What if he's doing I, it on a burner hit? account, though? Yeah, yeah, the burner account. Uh, the kids call it spam now, I think. That's what I'm realizing as I chase after my daughter's secondary accounts. Uh, Richard Atkinson in the chat says easy victory for Dilfer. He himself would take a power five job and do the same as he did at the high school level. I don't think this is all about him saying my players can't go on to the next level. He just wants them to do it when it's appropriate. Correct. He's saying don't poach players from my roster, start hitting them up during the season. So I do think there's a difference, right? Because I think even Dilfer, if he had a player who was leading like a Zakari Franklin, uh, you know, who is leading the country and receiving, he's kind of well aware that player is probably going to take that jump. Because I agree with Richard in the chat that he said his play, his, his grandkids in Delph, uh, in Nashville, if Vanderbilt came calling him, let's say Clark Lee fell into hot water and they didn't decide to elevate Barton Sims, if Vanderbilt came calling, Trent would be all over that. Like, I think he realizes that. I think they're trying to defend against how do I manage my roster when I don't even have a chance, when year-round I have to be worried about guys starting conversations with them, creating doubt in their mind about whether they want to be here. Like It is a very mental game of getting your players bought into your team and what are we doing this year where if they're getting hit up they're you know in November and you're trying to finish out a season to get bowl eligible or to get to a better bowl and your player's thinking about skipping a game, Like I think that's more of what Trent is bothering him the most. 
also Trent has already said like, getting paid at a power five is a recruiting tactic they use. Like he, this is two or three months ago. I, m- I remember I, I forgot where, where I was listening to the comments. I, I think I was in the Lauderdale office. So it had to be like February ish. He's like, yeah, hey, if you're overlooked, come to UAB, prove yourself. You may get a big NIL offer to go somewhere else. I root for our kids to go get paid. Like, so I don't it's think he's, he's against That's, that. Yeah. He just he's keeping himself in the news and, and and kind of endearing himself to the you know the Birmingham area. This is this is probably good PR for him and and smart. Um, didn't really feel like diving into the uh, the the football side of the LSU NCAA case was much smaller than the basketball side, which included penalties under Will Wade. But there was um, good gravy ripping off a hospital. I think we've talked about there is ridiculous. But um, you think LSU ain't committed to winning? <laughs> within the context of the fallout is vacating 37 wins between 2012 and 2015 because of recruiting violations stemming from impermissible benefits paid to the father of former player Vidal Alexander. Now, those, of course, are going to come from less miles uh, win count, which is going to jeopardize his eligibility for the Hall- College Football Hall of Fame, to which I wanted to ask y'all, in your mind... If you were to sort of create a Hall of Fame for co- the sport of college football, is Les Miles a Hall of Famer? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but I'm just I'm trying to football wise. Yes, so there's some off field stuff that I think besides the vacated win that could end up keeping him out. For sure. Yeah. I mean, but is yeah. this about character again? Like, because mm-hmm, there's right. a lot. There's a lot of coaches that are already in the Hall of Fame where they're not mm-hmm. angels either. That's always the debate that comes up. Uh, I don't so, think winning a national championship means you're automatically a Hall of Famer. I disagree. Okay. There aren't that many. It's hard to do. <laughs> like, Is if, Gene Chizik a Hall of Famer? Uh, in the Auburn Hall of Fame, yes. Les Miles won a national title, but he also won a lot of other games. Like He didn't win four yeah. or five natties, but LSU was a pretty good program under Les for a very long time. So, I don't know. I mean, and then o- he was good at Oklahoma State, too. But, yeah, like, what is, what's the win requirement? Because isn't, like, Six, Mike Leach one short of it? And Schnellenberger doesn't get in, right? Or something? Yeah. And he's at he was at 667 or something like that. Now this will drop him under the required 600 win percentage. He was also a character, and in, in college football, more than the pros, I mean, the, the coaches for a long time have been the biggest celebrities. And, and he, he was a guy who really kind of embodied some of the, at least outwardly, as Tom mentioned, there, there was other stuff going on. Uh, but I mean, eat, eating the grass, right? Go, go, being the kind of wild, crazy, quirky dude, you know, calling fake field goals on, on fourth downs. And, and there's probably about a decade of college football that you really can't tell the, the full story of w- without talking about less. Mm, that's good because that's what a Hall of Fame should do. It should tell you the story of the sport to capture the conversations that were happening at the time. Like, I came <laughs> baseball. The, Sorry, oh, is it, <laughs> is there exclusionary? Right, I'm not familiar yeah, with the. That's what I'm saying. Baseball, politics. baseball doesn't want to tell the whole story. That's what I'm pointing out. Because I came into this actually thinking that Les Miles was closer to Ed Ogeron and Gene Chizik than no. like surefire Hall of Famer. But yeah, that's a good. That's because the SEC championships, playing for SEC championships, the entire 2011 season, the 2010 season. Um, okay. I think I can come around on that. Is that Edron Hall of Famer? He's a character. No. 
not enough sustained success. Yeah, I, I would say no. Okay. Danny, oh, he's like, yes? if, if there's like an I'd interim yes. coach Hall of Fame, put that in there. But I'm yeah. so like not I'm not the guy that likes to dive in dive into the minutia of compare like I'm I'm more lean I'm more yeah let's put him in why not like yeah. won a title you know almost won another one had a lot of success like sure I dig that because I think all the guys in the steroids should be in the baseball hall of fame too just put them in their own wing yeah because that was what everybody was talking about when they were playing can't right. just. Which again, kind of with less, got busted. Now, not some of the stuff that was happening, but the cheating under the table. A lot of that was happening all across the board as well. Yeah, um, will be very, uh, very interesting to see uh, what else is in there. Okay, so Nick Saban always battling against the conversation about when he will retire. I think our long-standing bet, Bud, where are we at right now? I think we gave him like two to three or two and a half more seasons. Is that what our over under is? I, at right I think now? so. Yeah. So what? So now he is out here telling recruits that he will quote coach until he croaks over. Um, I do not wish that for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you believe? Him? I mean, so I'm at Future Fifty over the weekend, which is like the invite only, like super elite for all the rising juniors. You know, guys just finished their sophomore seasons, and Ryan Williams, who's the top receiver in the 2025 class, just say that out loud. You you do feel old, 2025 class. He's committed to Alabama. He's from, from Sarah Land, Alabama. And uh, I was like, I really don't care where these guys, like like what their top eight is right now, because it's going to change so much. So I was like, ask him something that might be a little more relevant. And I mean, granted, everybody has a different job. I'm not, not trying to, I, I've, I've done that as well. And, and actually had to do it for a lot of kids there. But he's committed to Alabama. Obviously, he seems like he's going to Alabama. I was like, hey, like, I know for a long time schools have, have negatively recruited Nick Saban and said, hey, he's going to retire soon. He's not going to be there. And for a 25, a guy's not going to enroll for two more years. I think that's particularly a relevant question. It's like, has Nick talked to you about that? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he told me he's going to croak – excuse me, he, he's, he's going to coach there until he croaks over. Like, which, I mean – didn't Bear Bryant die right after he retired? It was it was within a couple of months. Like that's yeah. the eerie thing about being the Alabama coach, being an insane workaholic, and then you know throwing out a comment like this. Again, my my standing take on this is I do not wish this on Nick. I hope he and Miss Terry get to enjoy plenty of time together when he decides to step away from Alabama. And so I don't. You know where you that... can see that quote first on the Cover Three YouTube page. If you guys listen to us on audio, we are dropping some exclusive recruiting content on the page, particularly in the short section. Uh, you guys check it out. It'd be pretty cool. So I don't think that philosophy is just with college football coach. I think it's with highly successful people. I think they worry mm -hmm. about what they're going to do after there's their purpose, their sense of meaning. Uh, my dad still works in his eighties and you know, he, he's worried about what's he going to do with his spare time. He doesn't want to spend it with my mom all the time. So he's like, <laughs> I'm going to keep working, but I do. So I put this in the category of, I'm not going to coach at Bama. Uh, which I don't think was that, like, I don't hold that against him. I think that's what he had to say at the moment because he was getting pressure and he just wanted people to shut up. If he says, I'm considering it, it's going to be used against him in recruiting and they've been crushing it still on the recruiting trail where if you open up that door, I'm not sure, we'll take it year by year, it's going to impact your ability to get those players to come there. So I think this is probably his go-to line that it's not the only player he's told I'm going to coach till I crow. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die here. I'm going to coach forever. And I don't believe him when he says that, but I think that I totally get why he's saying it. Cause I'm sure it was something coach Bowden said too. 
And yeah. Coach Bowden was sent packing towards the end. Like Nick mm-hmm. Saban, like as much as we love him and think he's going to call his own shot, things change in a hurry in college football. If there's one thing we've learned over you know the course of history. Um, so yeah, and Nick I think is still he, winning. Correct. Like, yeah, coach, not coach Bowden was like year. one more year, one more year. Correct. More, like like for about but, five or six years in a row. But in three years, if you had a couple eight and fours, you know, or seven yeah. and five mixed in there, then it's oh, all of a sudden. Oh, that's out. <laughs> One right. seven five, and we're done. Right. Does and eight and four Alabama get an at large in the playoff? In the expanded <laughs> playoff, yes. Tell us in the comments. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, we would be favored against you know everybody, but the top two teams. <laughs> We'd be favored against everybody, but the four teams we lost to. So as long as none of those four are in the playoff, we should be in. The we'll playoff. be good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, How man. old is he again? How old is he? 71? 71-ish, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, he's got – like if he's he wants to, I don't even think health comes in. I mean, we had a char- call, uh, you know, somebody in the chat pointed out, Paterno and Bowden both went to their 80s. Now, it was How'd starting that to go? climb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's where I don't think we're close to that conversation yet. But I also think, you know, the landscape is changing. We talked about why he's saying these things about the point spread, why he wants – parity and why he wants you know employees and why he wants all these things i think it's gonna be interesting to see if he can track the success with the chain the monumental changes in college football and the player's mindset in today's football would nick saban want a retirement tour a la coach k no i i don't think so i don't think so either just imagine like going to like Auburn, Auburn? Arkansas, and they're presenting him like a like a like a trophy before like a like a plaque or something that says thank you for beating us 45 times we'll miss you <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say it actually would be yeah. massive celebrations for those schools though <laughs> if he does that he's gonna lose one of those road games to somebody that he shouldn't yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta stay stay business only that's the uh that's the way to keep it going Coming up on the other side, it's time to talk strength of schedule. Who has the toughest schedule in the country? And let's break it down a little bit more to see you know, there's levels to this. Also, who's got the easiest schedule and might be ready to take advantage? All that and more next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, let's start very simple. Very, very simple. Something that we could just package up and just just be able to make a declaration. Who has the toughest schedule in the country? Uh, and Bub takes an L to the mute button. <laughs> oh, it, it's it's still off season. It's been a minute, man. <laughs> All right. 
do we want to like present contenders and then vote on this? I to me, the starting point is Florida. And if there are arguments yeah. other than Florida, that's fine because Florida plays Utah at Utah. They've got their annual game against Florida State. They've got their uh, SEC draw. I, 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 I'm very interested to hear the other contenders. I've got a few that come to mind, but my question was, is the starting point the Florida Gators for the toughest schedule in the country? Yes. Yeah. Probably. Right. Yeah. Like, they are and in the East, is- but you get LSU from the West, you get Arkansas from the West, and, and as Chip said, the two non-cons. Like, I, there's not a lot of breaks there. What other ones stand out? Well, I mean, is there an, is there another is that is that it? Florida has the toughest schedule in the country. I think I think it's one of the tougher ones. I mean, it's looking at it right now. I think you could say that, yeah. But it's I don't know when it comes to SOS preseason style. It's uh, it's always a little hard. I would think that are we talking just overall or maybe more of like a team that's trying to get to the playoff kind of situation here? Oh, we can we go can. ahead and get into the, like the specifics. I just I I like to be able to just be real dumb and just come out and be like Florida's got the toughest schedule in the in the country. Change my mind. Because there's some, and I don't know who it is, but there's some G5 out there playing like three power five teams. Who's got pretty, yeah. like, like Kent State last year, who'd they have to play? It was like Georgia, Washington. Georgia, Oklahoma, Washington. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was a pretty tough schedule. So it, it, it's like in the context of how good are you and who are you playing, there, some schedules look tougher than others. But I would say just in a vacuum, Florida's is very difficult. But if we want to get into like teams just playing for something, I would say Notre Dame has a very difficult schedule this year because they've got Ohio State. They've got USC. They've got a road game at Clemson. They've, you know, so when you look at all this stuff, they've got NC State on the road. So like when you look at that schedule for a team that I don't think is a playoff contender in 2023, but a program that is going to, you know, convincing itself it could compete for a playoff berth and it's not out of the line of possibility considering it's been there a few times in recent years that's a hell of a road to have to go through i'm a little bit less high on notre dame's schedule but i i agree with tom like defining the toughest schedule if we define it as like the toughest to go undefeated against your list is basically going to be in florida old miss bama south carolina texas a&m auburn like basically everybody who has to play georgia or you know, it like plays a, a big time non-conference game who happens to be in the SEC West, right? Who also gets Georgia. So I, like Notre Dame's though, I think is, is high on my list for, t- for kind of tough to make a bowl game against for an average team. Like there's a lot of like quality, decent opponents on there. Right. Uh, so to me, that it, it's sort of how you, how you define it. Obviously that's maybe not the great point by me, but um well, the, I, I, do think I think that a, a ton of coin flip games can be really tough too. I think mm-hmm. that if, if you've got a string of coin flip well, games and like a power conference non-con, then you know that can be extremely difficult regardless of you know where you are. Though the fact that you are playing coin flip games probably defines what your quality is. Right. But when you're going without a break and every single um, every single game is going to be one where you, it's going to be one possession, you know, seven to 10 points on the point spread. The, the likelihood, the odds of being able to get through that with more wins than not can be really, really difficult. To, that's what I think. I think that's fair. Um, like, how much tougher is Florida scheduled in South Carolina? South Carolina is another great, um, a great option. It's always tough for South Carolina. Yeah. 
Because they, they play North Carolina. And they play Clemson, and Clemson, too. And they play Clemson. Right. And the uh, fact they beat them last year almost makes it a little bit tougher mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for, for South Carolina. <laughs> There's uh, – in the, like, strength of schedule metrics, Michigan State came up a lot. And I, I wanted to at least – and I'll, I'll go ahead and run through it real quick. So it did not seem that tough to me. But Michigan State has been ranked pretty highly on a lot of strength of schedule. I'll just read it. Real quick, they start with Central Michigan, Richmond. They do play Washington, but it's at home. They get Maryland at home. Start with four straight home games. They go at Iowa, break at Rutgers, Michigan, at Minnesota, Nebraska, at Ohio State, at Indiana, then the Penn State game in Detroit. So their draw from the West does include uh, an Iowa, but it's Nebraska, and then at Minnesota, and then, of course, Washington in the non-con. My my issues with Michigan State are not the schedule. I think it's the roster. And that's mm-hmm. where it's sort of like, what are your expectations here? And that's, Tom, to your point, a strength schedule, like just from the metric standpoint at the beginning of the season is a little bit wonky because we are taking like two big leaps. How good is this team and how good are all of these other teams too all at the same time? I, I feel like Michigan State, if they had their act together, could get through there and be seven and five, be, yeah. you know, right like, there in the mix. Michigan State's schedule is going to rate highly and like just, typical SOS metrics because of the Washington game and then plus Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. So when you put those four teams on there, it's going to rate highly. But I I did a post this week because we're doing our conference, you know, strength of schedule rankings on CBSSports.com. The Big Ten, the idea will come out today. Michigan State doesn't even have the toughest schedule in the Big Ten compared to what I, you know, based on what I did for it. So it's a difficult schedule, but I don't think it's one of the toughest in the country, no. Danny, what do you, what stood out to you about the Kansas State schedule? So I saw a couple stats on them uh, that I'll read to you. Um, so what I thought it was interesting because nobody chirped in and said, hey, a playoff team, a potential playoff team. But I do think like, hey, they won the Big 12 last year. I think their ceiling is to get to the playoff. Like that should be their goal. We talked about that. Will How- Howard's coming back. But uh, they play three teams that were ranked a year ago, eight teams that have winning records, uh, 11 that played in a bowl game uh, last year. Troy is a sneaky game. Uh, you know, a group of five opponent that's going to be feisty. It's going to be tough out. Mizzou, I don't think is an easy out. They'll be f- – well, uh, will Kansas State be favored in that game, you think, bud? It's at Mizzou? It's at yeah. Mizzou. Yeah. Yeah. Unless Mizzou finds a quarterback, Kansas State's going to be favored. Kansas State can lose um, to Troy. Right. So, Could uh, happen. That was an 11-2 yeah. and two team last year, right? And that might be a 14-13 game. Like, right. Troy, Troy is a, a, like, really solid defensive program right now, and – that like Kansas State finds itself in those kind of games all the time. Mm-hmm. That's true. Y'all and seen that? Interesting because like the Big Twelve and Pac twelve, where there's more parity, and there isn't this team that's you know just going to dominate. I think that goes to the point like less likely to run the table because there's a bunch of good teams. That's why I was with Texas. I just don't know where there's a lot. I mean, the obvious one is that the fact that they're non-con includes having to go play Alabama in Tuscaloosa. But do you know what Texas uh, doesn't have is a majority of their conference games at home. Mm -hmm. The only conference games that Texas has uh, at home are Kansas on September 30th, BYU on October 28th, Kansas State on November 4th, and then Texas Tech on November 24th. They get stuck in that, you know, it's awesome to go to the Texas State Fair, be able to play Oklahoma and eat corn dogs and deep fried Snickers, but you also find yourselves within the 
you know, context of the Big 12 schedule ro- rotation where you're not going to get a lot of those games. So they're already going to have to be road warriors having to go play in Tuscaloosa. So if Texas wants to be able to you know, be in contention for a college football playoff spot, that means they're going to have to go to Alabama, to Baylor, uh, to Houston, to TCU, to Iowa State. Within the context of a, a pretty good team who's got a tough schedule, Texas is one that definitely jumped off the page to me. The only pushback I would have on that is, A, we're really not sure how good Iowa State's going to be this year. Uh, I think there's some things we're you know waiting to see on that. And then they their road games are like all within the state of Texas. Oh, okay. I'll so, take So like there's not a lot of travel. They don't do – like they don't go to BYU and to West Virginia, right, or like to Cincinnati. So the, the it's not like they're going to get beaten down by some of the road travel. It, it is road games, but like who's, who's going to be the, the – you know, the, the home crowd team when they play Houston. That's probably 50-50, right? Like, you know Texas – Houston's got to be a huge alumni city for UT Could Austin. be some Aggie fans there, though. Just <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, at, you know, Baylor obviously is a tough place to play, but th- there's not – like, they don't travel a lot outside the state. Yeah, they oh, don't Texas even is a big draw. state. It is travel. And remember, like, we're still nine-game conference schedules, but with the expanded conference, like, now you have uh, teams that you avoid. Yep. But they avoid West Virginia, which would be one of the easier wins. Do they avoid Kansas State? I'm trying to, I don't have their there's in front of me. Kansas State plays in Austin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? No no Oklahoma State, no No I'd Oklahoma rather, State, no West Virginia. Um, play Oklahoma State no, and no Cincinnati. Cincinnati and West Virginia are the ones that you want to see on your Big Twelve schedule. And probably BYU. Yeah. I, I yeah. think UCF's the best of the of the new teams in, in, in that league. I would agree with that. So they avoid three of the four new teams. They only get BYU and the ghost of Taysom Hill coming to Austin. Um, can't wait. Can't wait for that one. Uh, but you mentioned that if, you know, if the average team were to show up and get this schedule, that Alabama schedule stands out to you. Um, we got this, you know, bridging off that, that Texas game right there. What else um, is, what else is remarkable about the Crimson Tide schedule? I think Alabama is the toughest schedule out there that does not include Georgia. Right. And if, if you just take like the average power five team, right? So like the number 30 or number 35 power five team. So that's like a, I don't know, who, who do you guys have is like, like a very like, like midline college football uh, team. I, sh- I mean, I don't know. Shoot. Georgia. Like a Missouri, you know, Oklahoma State, right? Like mm-hmm. something in there. Then Bama's schedule is actually really tough. So Texas in the non con, Middle Tennessee State, which, is not a good football team, but if you're an average Power Five team, beat Miami, and you play yeah. poorly, right? Like if you play poorly, there's some chance you could lose that game, right? At USF, I don't think USF's very good, but again, it's a roadie, kind of in the middle of a weird slate. Like if you play poorly, you could be in trouble there. And then they have a very difficult stretch, right? If you're an average team, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, A and M, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky. You get Chattanooga, and then you got to go finish at Auburn like there's just not a lot of opportunities to like let's say a guy's banged up and you need to sit him because you know like like you're, you're playing somebody poor there's not a lot of that if you're on the fight. road against USF they are yeah what I it's either a two-for-one situation or they want to go play a game like for recruiting purposes in Florida it's two-for-one even it if is. they want to okay. go no no I'm, I'm just I'm just saying there is no way you go one-for-one why is uh, Alabama scheduling two for ones with USF? I think it's because oh, it's uh, a three game series. Yeah. I think it's cracks in the foundation. I think Nick Saban has <laughs> lost it. 
a lot of a lot of florida students go to, go to alabama right like the yeah I'm just, it's, I don't know if, if Alabama, if I'm playing a, if I'm playing a road non-conference game, it's at a neutral site. I'm not going to Tampa to play USF. What the, f- it will be a neutral site. Like nobody <laughs> goes to USF games. No, but I'm just saying that's, that's my point. Like who is USF? What is USF's home schedule? Let's see the other teams USF is playing at home this year besides Alabama. Cause this is going to be a hilarious list. <laughs> It, it's easy for for Alabama fans to fly into T- Tampa Air, Air, Airport, right? I mean, like it, it's you know they're, they're in and out. It's, yeah. it's a pro stadium. Okay, it's a great they're, airport. There are other home games. The FAMU, FAMU, Rice, <laughs> FAU, Temple, Charlotte. One of these things is not like the others. <laughs> you realize what's going to happen here is that Bama fans are going to buy season tickets for USF. And then they're going to dump the other six, five or six games on StubHub or Seek Here. Does anybody any ticket sign sponsor called, us right now? If so, then then that's the one they're going to dump it on. And, but I've called games at Raymond Jane Stadium when there are three thousand fans there. One was a rainy game. It was like a Friday night rain game, but no one's going to notice if Bama dumps off their unused season tickets to South Florida, but you know who appreciates it? South Florida, because at least they get the money from those season tickets that the Bama fans bought. Yeah, yeah they're going to be having a lot of like boys and girls club nights at, at, at yeah. USF <laughs> with, with this schedule. Even yeah, the boys Morgan, and girls are like, nah, local band we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Morgan in the chat with a good point. Just, you're going to IMG. Mm-hmm. You're just showing up to to make sure you get all those IMG kids in there. Let them hang out with the team a little bit. Um, the good opportunities there. Tom, you mentioned uh, PJ Fleck and Minnesota schedule. I know that clearly the you know the most difficult challenge will be just to not be overcome by all the baby blue that just looks so soft and cushy uh, for that trip to Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. Um, what is it about the the Golden Gophers schedule that stands out to you? I mean, this is a team like non-COVID years. The last three seasons, Minnesota's won at least nine games. Looking at this schedule, I don't think Minnesota fans should count on winning at least nine games this year because you get the opener with Nebraska at home, which I think I would favor Minnesota in that, but who knows what Nebraska's going to look like in its first game under Matt Rule. You get the Eastern Michigan game, that's fine, but you mentioned the road trip to North Carolina, a road game against an ACC team that might have the best quarterback. It has a possible Heisman winner. You know, in, that's not going to be simple uh, at Northwestern, whatever. But more than anything, when like you're in the Big Ten West, this being the last year of the divisions, when they do the cross-divisional draw, you just kind of hope that if you have to play Ohio State or Michigan, you only get one of them. Minnesota got both. They've got to play Michigan at home in early October, and then they're on the road late in the season for Ohio State. So if there's any good news there, maybe Ohio State gets caught napping a week ahead of Michigan. But you get Michigan. You get Ohio State on the road. You also got Michigan State from the east, which if they bounce back to normal because – like two years ago, I didn't think Michigan State was as good as its record. Last year, I didn't think Michigan State was as bad as its record. I expect them to kind of even out. So that's a very difficult draw from the East. You've got Iowa on the road. You have to go on the road for Purdue. You get Wisconsin at home to finish the year. So like, this is a team that has get getting kind of used to winning nine games. They might be struggling to get to a bowl this year with this schedule. You know who else is in the Big Ten West and draws both Ohio State and Michigan? Purdue. Purdue. And also has to play two juggernauts in Virginia Tech and Syracuse from the ACC. Mm-hmm. Purdue's doing a, a nice little ACC tour. So it opens, by the way, with Fresno State. Not easy. 
especially when we're talking about the coaching difference between Jeff Tedford and Ryan Walters here in year one. High expectations for Ryan Walters, obviously, but still when you're trying to think about a coaching edge there, if I'm doing a tail of the tape, I'm doing a check mark for Tedford and the visiting Bulldogs. Then they go play Virginia Tech, and that's going to be in Lane Stadium. They host Syracuse. Then they've got a short turnaround from Syracuse to a visit from Wisconsin. Then they've got Illinois after that at Iowa and then Ohio State. So that is seven games all in a row with zero breaks and, I don't know, no easy wins? Like maybe at Virginia Tech is the one where you would say they would be the biggest betting favorite. They come back, they go at Nebraska, at Michigan, uh, Minnesota at home, at Northwestern, and Indiana. So, yes, congratulations. You've got at least one win at the very end of the schedule, but this is a, a very tough year one draw for Ryan Walters in the uh, in the hopes of mm-hmm. making it to a bowl game. Where you're, was it, are we, what, what's the Purdue, Indiana? Is it, Na- that's not Keg and Nails. The old oaken bucket. Bucket. That's it. The old oaken bucket. Um, Danny, we mentioned the South Carolina schedule earlier. Is, is there anything d- deeper within that that stood out to you? No, I just had them as possibly one of the toughest in the country. And then when you look at their expectations of trying to make a bowl, I think it's going to be even tougher. Because it was oh, like, no, no, like, no. Their, their expectations are much higher, as I am reminded <laughs> on Twitter right. frequently. Making <laughs> a bowl is not an accomplishment for the Gamecocks, Danny. We are a <laughs> national championship contending program. <laughs> <laughs> have you, you done your uh <laughs> that was fantastic yeah that's bud versus south carolina so <laughs> that's the great thing about south carolina and notre dame playing in a bowl game last year is it really should have been sponsored by bud elliott you know that's oh. like <laughs> those are your two squads right there uh, at least in the eyes of the fan base so one of the things that we're doing at this time of the year is we are trying to assess quality. You know, Bud's got power ratings. We sort of stack these teams up. So what point is it going to be that the schedule has a good team, maybe with not so good a record, and then we'll look at the other side of that as well. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Danny, if Washington played in the ACC, do you think they would be a pick to win the ACC? I do. I think some people would pick them. You know, I don't think they would be. I bet you'd get. I think it's going to be interesting to see what at ACC Media Days, who's picked to be the winner. I think Clemson and FSU will get a majority of the event. Maybe it's close to 50-50. But I bet Washington would take 20% of the vote to win it. I was going to say Washington probably has. Yeah, I, I I think they would probably be the uh, the consensus third 
in terms of, of the number right. of votes, right? Like, whereas now it'll be what, like Louisville, North Carolina, Miami, maybe yeah. NC State, and some some toss. I, I'm not gonna. I don't. I have no idea what people are gonna vote for. Like, it won't be UVA, Cuse, Vatech, Wake. I would think because like. Danny, like you mentioned, Washington is a quality team, probably a you know ten yes. to fifteen in terms of its overall form, but the schedule is a little bit difficult. Where do you think the traps are? Uh, Boise State, I think, always is that team. Maybe not as tough as it was years ago. I mean, they've kind of got things back on track after a brutal start last year. Remember, they fired their offensive coordinator, uh, survived that. Tulsa, and then Michigan State. I know Michigan State is a game that doesn't look tough because Michigan State's been down, but I don't think that's an easy game, especially earlier in the season when Michigan State probably is still feeling like, hey, they could turn this, you know, turn the program around. And then I just I, I wanted to have a Pac-12 team in there because of the, you know, the depth of the conference and how tough, you know, some of their games are. So I know they get Oregon at home, but I think they got some tricky road games uh, at USC, at Oregon State isn't going to be a slouch. Utah, no matter where you play them, is going to be a tough game. So I think a program that you know had 11 wins last year is going to have a really hard time matching that this season. They do get Stanford and Cal, just nice. You know, yes. tw- 12, <laughs> 12 teams in the Pac-12, nine-game conference schedule. There's not a lot of like winning and losing. Everybody pretty much has to play everybody. But it, the absence of Stanford and Cal is bad. The presence of Stanford and Cal does at least give you those opportunities where, like the example Bud was using earlier, if, if you got a guy who's a little bit hobbled and if you could just get one week of rehab and recovery, those might be a good uh, good games to, to fill out the, the back end of that. Tom, talk to me about Missouri's schedule. Oh, and Missouri's team, too. Sounds like you're buying a little bit of the alpha nerd. It's... I, I think Missouri, if it had a more neutralish schedule, is probably a very solid bowl team. I don't know if it's going to get to a bowl game this year with this schedule because we kind of touched on it earlier. It's at home, but they get Kansas State in the non-con, which is you know, a defending Power 5 conference champion, and it's a team I still expect to be good. But more than anything, it's like you know, we, when we go through like the win total shows and we're trying to figure this stuff out, like the coin flip games, the games where maybe you're favored by three points or less or you know, you're an underdog of three points or less. Most of those games for Mizzou this year are on the road. Like, they get Vandy on the road. Kentucky's on the road. Georgia's on the road, but they never had a shot at that. And then they finish with Arkansas on the road. At a neutral field, Vandy, Kentucky, and Arkansas are three teams that if you're a Missouri fan, you're thinking, all right, these are these are three possible wins. These are three good shots. Now you've got to play them on the road. It makes it a little more difficult. We mentioned the Middle Tennessee earlier. They get that game at home. That should be a win. Memphis, they get LSU at home, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida. It's like you avoid Alabama, but just the way the home and road breaks down and the fact that you're still getting LSU and you're getting, you know, and you've still got to play Georgia on the road, like that might be, you might end up playing both division champions this year. So I look at this team as a team that might finish five and seven, but maybe in reality is more of a seven or eight win team. I can see that. Are you there? Are y'all there on Missouri? I think they, they will play the good defense. Like quality, yeah. What's the expectation for what they're going to look like? So we had we had Dave Matter on uh, for summer school, which was pretty good. They lose one of their better receivers to Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, they still have Luther Burden there. I think offensive line should be okay if they stay healthy. Quarterback still a major question mark for them. You know, defensive line did lose some good pieces, but like Blake Baker's done a nice job there. I I, I think so reasonably competent like i don't know 
that Florida and South Carolina are much better than they are. Kentucky probably is if Leary's back to health. I think we, we can assume that. But, yeah, I, I think Tom really nailed it there. In Enough the, to keep, so what do they do with Eli Drinkwitz? If they're that's five and seven. What, what are the expectations at Missouri? Like, I mean, take the check, getting, take the losses. Bill you guys got paid. You paid the title games. games within the last decade. That's yeah, but not because they were good. Like they were decent teams that were in a, a, a train wreck of, of an SEC East. Like it's the last days of of Rick's coaching bowl eligibility there. is a should be a requirement. I mean, if they're that concerned with bowl eligibility, why don't you schedule for bowl eligibility like Mississippi State does? Is Mizzou one of the teams that voted for against the nine game? I think they were. They were in. Yeah. Yeah. See, that was what was kind of surprising to me about that because I remember there was like because generally it's all it's been the the dividing lines have been the teams at the bottom of the league were against it. The teams at the top didn't really care, but Mizzou. Missouri's like we're rich. Yeah. Don't don't care about the loss. (laughs) Don't care about the loss. Check it out. Um, last year Kansas. In in it's so funny, Bud. You were talking about like the thirty to forty range. And I didn't didn't want to jump ahead of it, but I I think that this year the Duke Blue Devils are maybe like in that thirty to forty kind of range. Yeah. But the problem is they won nine games last year when they were getting to beat up on all the bad teams in the Coastal Division, and now in the first year with no divisionless play, they get Clemson, Florida State, Wake, Louisville, and NC State. They took. All the best teams from the ACC Atlantic Division, and now they've landed right on Mike Elko's dinner plate. I think that it could be a better team in terms of quality, just like year two of Riley Leonard there with Kevin Johns. Um, All the Jordans and the Jalens, like all the skill position players, like the pieces fit well together. And I think that they'll still find themselves fighting for a bowl game at the end of the season. So I think that Duke will be a very good team that is probably winning about six, maybe seven games, even if they are better from the nine win, um, the nine win season that they had a year ago. Bud, we hit on that, that pattern. Actually, reminds me of what we saw uh, Scott uh, Scott Satterfield do at Louisville. Right, really good year one. They weren't as good as their record in year one. The schedule was far tougher in year two. They were actually a better quality football team that had less luck and played a tougher schedule in year two. And so all the people got down on Scott Satterfield. His team showed improvement. If you guys look under the hood a little bit, you'll see it. If you just want a box score scout and and, and look at the win-loss column, you won't. Minnesota, we talked a little bit about anything, anything else, maybe about the like the the kind of team that you're expecting and why it might be challenging going through that schedule. Sure. So we, we, we had Ryan Burns uh, of, of Go, Go for Report on, on summer school, and they're pretty high on Ethan Kelly McManus uh, long term. I'm not going to say that twice, but I think this year is a bit of a transitional year for Minnesota and is not a good year to draw the schedule that they drew. They're going to need to go and, and do something in the non-conference, I think, to ensure they make a bowl. Like, I think they make a bowl, but I don't think that they're a team that's going to seriously contend for the West due to the draw, most likely. If Iowa gets their stuff together on, on offense, even a little bit. Minnesota fans are a lot higher than Kelly Ekmanis than I am. I'm just going to put that out there. See, I thought Ryan put it well. He's like, I'm high on him long term. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that the people that cover that team are super high on him for this year. 
it's funny that you mention Iowa if they get their offense together because with no Ohio State, with no Michigan, they do have mm-hmm. Penn State on the road. There is an argument that Iowa is the team that, again, if they get their act together, has an easy schedule and could find themselves competing, at least playing for a Big Ten title at the top of the Big Ten West. Who are some of those other teams that stood out to y'all with uh, easy schedules and ready to go take advantage of it? Uh, I'll Louisville. stick to the Big Ten. Oh, oh you sorry. Go first. No, go ahead. Well, I, I got to jump to a summer school. Louisville. Go. Like, dude, Georgia Tech and Atlanta to open. Murray State, Indiana, Boston College, NC State, Notre Dame, Pitt, Duke, Vatech, Virginia, Miami, Kentucky. Are they double-digit dogs in any game? No. no. Maybe no. Where's the Notre Dame game at? It's in Louisville. Oh, then no. I got one for you because I got a bolt too. Oklahoma. And Ooh. Oklahoma because the expectations are low this year. I mean, they're, I think the fact that they're getting the – the new teams in the, I think, yeah, Cincinnati and UCF look, you know, on paper tough. Have you guys seen their win totals? They're not, but like, I think UCF mm-hmm. is still like six and a half or seven games. Yeah. Like, I still think Oklahoma has significantly more talent than those teams. Their toughest road game is still water. Uh, you know, they catch the Red River shootout neutral. I mean, they, they have a very manageable schedule. TCU, last game of the year at home. I mean, I think Oklahoma's schedule is primed for a big turnaround season for them. And the win total would say it, too. I think they're at nine, nine and a half. Yeah. Unfortunately, not a dark horse candidate qualification, I don't think. Not Uh, when you're Oklahoma in the Big 12. But I do like that schedule. Oklahoma, maybe a dark horse? (laughs) Oh, how things have fallen under Brent Venables when Oklahoma is mentioned as a potential dark horse. Uh, Tom, where do you want to – you said you want to stay in the Big 10? Yeah, I'm going to go – like, this is kind of – Surprising considering the division they play in, but I'm going to go Penn State. Like, if you look at their non-con, it is... You remember how we talked about Michigan's non-conference last year being super soft? Penn State's in a very similar position. They start with the home opener against West Virginia, but I don't expect West Virginia to be that good this year, and I think Penn State's going to be favored by a lot and win that game by a lot. But then their other two non-con games are Delaware and UMass, which is basically playing two FCS teams because that is the level that UMass has been at. And yes, they have to play Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State is on the road. Michigan's at home. If they split that, you look at the other 10 games on the schedule, they're going to be favored by probably double digits in nine of them at least. Like it's it's at Illinois versus Iowa at Northwestern, the UMass game I mentioned versus Indiana at Maryland versus Michigan versus Rutgers at Michigan State. This is one of the reasons why, aside from the talent level that this team has, I'm high on Penn State going into the season as a team that will be competing with Michigan and Ohio State for the Big Ten title because the way the schedule breaks down to me, this is a team poised to have a very good season. So I I think I I might be a little hyperbole saying it's one of the easiest because it's got both Ohio State and Michigan on it, but I think in context of what how good I think Penn State is talent-wise, they're going to have a pretty nice run through here. Yeah. Should be uh, very interesting. Penn State, not a dark horse. Maybe right on the cut line. They're not Ohio State or Michigan. Maybe a dark horse. Have you heard about this Penn State team? I you, can I tell you a little bit about You've them? You've been yes. sleeping on Penn State. <laughs> uh, so, again, we will be getting transitioning this conversation into dark horse candidates for 2023 on Wednesday's show. Come and hang out with us, 11 a.m. Eastern time, youtube.com slash covered three. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.